So today we are continuing in our study on the Beatitudes. And uh, we took a little break last week because we had the ladies group from um, the Adult and Teen Challenge of Western Michigan. And they did a wonderful job last week. I was so encouraged by their messages and their testimonies. And uh, so glad that they were there with us, here with us. So we're picking up today, though, on um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. <laughs> and can I be relatively transparent with you today? This is hard for me. <laughs> I am not a naturally born mercy person. Some are. Some people are just full of grace and full of mercy and are so long-suffering. And I will just tell you that this is a hard message for me to preach because I have to learn to be merciful. Maybe you do too. See, I, I try to make things in one, category, one, or one of two categories. White, right or wrong. <laughs> White or black. And I have a hard time in areas that are gray or areas that are anything else in between. And I tend to be critical and I tend to judge. And that's something I have to work with, something I have to work on. Um, so I hope you still listen to me as a pastor when I'm being honest with you. <laughs> because I have some things I have to work on. So we're going to learn together what it means to be merciful today. We're going to learn together what it means to receive mercy today. So what does mercy mean? Mercy can be best described as not receiving what we deserve when it comes to a judgment. Not receiving what we deserve when it comes to standing in the presence of God because one day we will stand in the presence of God. And when I compare myself to God's standards, I deserve to be punished. And so do you. So we're all in the same boat here. <laughs> but it's not because you or I have done anything bad necessarily. You could be the best person in the world. You could be the most outstanding person in the world. But yet we still deserve to be punished because of the curse of sin. Because of what happened so many years ago. So this concept of mercy and being merciful is an age-old one that marks the man of God different than the man of the world from the very beginning of time. Remember, Jesus is talking to a, Judea, a, Jew, a Jewish audience here that are coming out of an Old Testament religion, and they've been taught the laws of Moses. So, Maybe they're thinking of the prophets. When Jesus is talking to the Beatitudes, to them on that hillside, they're not thinking about what Apostle Paul said because the Apostle Paul wasn't of the Apostle Paul yet. And uh, they're thinking about what Micah said and what Jeremiah said and what Isaiah said and what Malachi said and all the other prophets of the Old Testament. So let's kind of see what they're thinking. Where are they going here? When Jesus is blessed are they merciful for they receive mercy? What do you think they were, they were thinking about? Now, one passage that I'm drawn to is Micah chapter 6. Now, in this, in, this, in this passage, the prophet Micah is describing the unfaithful behavior of the Jewish people 
for generations, how God has been faithful to them and how they have repeatedly been unfaithful to God. And so the Israelites are responding here now in Micah chapter 6, almost cynically, it sounds like, to, well, then what does God expect of me? Okay, I mean, if, I, if God is angry with me, then, okay, what do I have to do to please this angry God? And so listen to what Micah says in chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and how they talk and what they're saying. It says that, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn son or daughter for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? I mean, the the Jewish people are saying, okay, God, what do you want? And Micah answers them in verse 8. He says, he, who is he, God, has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What an answer. <laughs> what an answer. And the prophet is showing here how man would try to cover their sin with their own efforts. All right, God, what do you want? You want me to give you thousands of rivers? You want me to give you all of my animals? You want me to give my firstborn son? Is that what's going to please you, God? And God says, no, no, you're missing the point, guys. It's not about you. It's about me showing you mercy. So what do I require? Is that you act justly. You love mercy. And you walk humbly before me and before people. Now we could make a whole sermon here on these three. What does it mean that we'll act justly? What does it mean to love mercy? And what does it mean to walk humbly? Well, we're going to focus on mercy today unless you want to be here for about three hours. I think we'll just deal with mercy. Mercy in this context is to show compassion and kindness to those in need in its simplest form. God says we are to love mercy, not just show mercy, but we're to love mercy. And that means so much more than just a simple act of compassion. It really is a heart. To love mercy is that it is a heart of truly loving people in their time of need. Or as we're going to see, it's also the greater act of mercy is to still love people even after they've wronged you. <laughs> even after they've, they've hurt you, that we still have to have compassion on them. That's why being merciful is so important in the life of the believer today. Not just then in the Old Testament Jewish time, but in the life of a believer today. Mercy is important to our our spiritual life. Because mercy is what Jesus has shown us at the cross. That's exactly a good definition of a demonstration of mercy is what Jesus did on the cross. Because God is proving here what it means to be merciful. He's given us a way out of our sinfulness and back into a righteousness so that we can have relationship with God once more. See, without God's mercy, 
no one would have the opportunity to be in right standing with God. No one would be able to do enough good things to account for their sin. The sin that we were born under is enough. No matter what you do in life thereafter, the sin that you were born under is enough to forever separate us from a relationship with God. That's the power of the curse of sin. There's nothing that we can do to counteract it. It's totally the mercy of God that Jesus came to die in our place to pay that penalty of sin. There's nothing that we can do to earn it ourselves. That's totally the mercy of God. The writer of Hebrews tells us that that's the reason that Jesus came to be like me, to be like you, to take on flesh, is so that he can show us how a man in the form of Jesus can be merciful to give us a relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, the writer says, we also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. What does that mean? That means Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for men. That's why Satan's demons have no hope. They, he, Jesus didn't die for angels. He died for you. He died for me. Verse 17, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God, that he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. That's the power of mercy. Mercy triumphs over sin. Mercy triumphs over sin. And that's one of the reasons why Satan hates it so much. We have to know what our adversary is about. He hates mercy. I mean, he, he, he hates it. Everything that God loves, Satan hates. God loves mankind. Satan hates mankind. You might think he's your friend. He's not. I just want you to know, if you're here or if you're listening, Satan hates you. <laughs> he may play with you. He may think he's, that you're having a good time together. Come on, let's go party. But I want you to know he hates you. Can't say it any more plain than that, can I? God loves mercy. Thus, Satan hates mercy. You see, Satan worked hard so many years ago to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, he had even had to take on the form of a snake to deceive them. He worked hard. And in his eyes, when Adam and Eve took that bite of that fruit and they rebelled against God's goodness and God's truth, Satan thought he won. He was happy. Because he destroyed the perfected and he broke the relationship between the perfect and God. Because he saw it that afternoon. God came down in the garden to walk with Adam and Eve as he normally did and Adam and Eve had, had sinned. They knew they had sinned and their eyes were opened 
and they hid from God, and Satan was laughing. He thought he won the battle. Because now, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are squirming under the presence of God. They were at one time rejoicing and and enjoying the presence of God as we were enjoying today. But now, because of sin, they're squirming in it and they're hiding in it and they're rebelliousness. Satan was able to deceive God's greatest creation, the one that God loved the most. So for Jesus to come back in human form a few thousand years later, To come back in human form and change the rules, so to speak, on Satan, showing God's mercy to men, giving them a second chance to come back into relationship with God, ruined the plans of Satan. And he hates it. He hates it because Jesus came in and changed it all over. He said, what you thought you won, Satan, you didn't win anything because mercy triumphs over sin. And because of that, that's one of the areas maybe as our flesh man because we're inherently evil because of the curse of sin. Even though that mercy triumphs over sin, that that curse of sin is still in our lives. And maybe that's one of the areas because Satan hates mercy. Maybe that's one of the, why one of the areas that we struggle in mercy. Because our flesh man struggles in being merciful. That's part of the curse of sin. That our flesh, man, we would not, that we would not propagate mercy to men the way God propagated mercy to us. Maybe that's why I struggle with it. Maybe that's why you struggle with it. Because Satan is still trying to win in our life. Still trying to worm his way into our life. Even though we're saved and have a right relationship with the Lord, Satan is still there to try to come in and Take it away from us. Amen? So I want to talk about three aspects of mercy today. Three aspects of mercy in the life of the believer. Number one is compassion. Compassion and empathy to those that are less fortunate. Number two is acts of kindness to those that need it. And then number three is forgiveness against those who offend us. Three aspects of mercy that need to be active in the life of every believer. So first of all, compassion and empathy. Compassion and empathy, they're a feeling. I I feel compassion. I feel empathetic for those that are suffering in the world. And that's a good thing because that's where it starts. But then it moves, it moves out of just feelings into a action. It motivate, the feelings and the compassion motivate us to do something to help, something to be part of the solution. Not merely just seeing the problem, but I see a solution and I'm a part of that solution. It means that I may have to get dirty it means I need to get, in, get invested in the lives of those that need help. And I want, I want to just stop and pause here just for a minute because this is where turning a feeling into an action, this is where one of two things I believe can happen. Either we can justify 
our lack of action and our lack of activity in the needs of other people because we're just too busy. <laughs> I mean, I, I just got too many things going on in my life. My, I mean, my plate's so full, I can hardly handle it. I'm spinning so many plates as it is. I, I don't have time to go over and help Joe. I, I'm just too busy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or, or, or we can jump to the other extreme and go to the other side and say that we see our acts of kindness to be so good that they become our righteousness. And now I'm prideful in how many people I help. I mean, I, I make it known to people that I am so good that I will help everybody And I do things maybe for the wrong reasons. So we have to find a balance in this, right? There's a balancing here to stay focused on what does it mean to do good deeds? What does it mean to put away my busyness, to do something for somebody? But I have to be doing it with the right heart. Remember, God sees the heart of the person before he sees the actions of a person. Now, the actions are important, but God's looking at the heart first, So here's a question. Are, are we doing what we do to people, to help people, because we love the person and our compassion and our empathy has turned into good deeds and action here because we love that person so much, or are we doing it to be acknowledged by the person to see how good I am? Am I doing it because I want people to see how good I am? Or am I doing it because I love people? There's a lot to think about there, isn't there? I mean, I, I, I think that when we look at activities that we do, um, we can look at the ones that are obvious and the ones that aren't so obvious. And some some of the ones that aren't so obvious, it's like if you did them, nobody knows you do them, but yet they're still important. I mean, I think about a simple little thing, walking down the sidewalk and seeing a piece of paper laying on the sidewalk, knowing that I probably should stop and pick it up. But if I picked it up, nobody would know I picked it up. The guy walking behind me didn't see me pick it up. He would never know there was a piece, piece of paper there that I picked up. So should I pick it up or not pick it up? Simple, right? Or, you know, I see something, the church, there's weeds in the parking lot. And, uh, boy, they need to be pulled. But if I pull them, nobody's going to know that I pulled them. So do I pull them or not pull them? You know what I'm talking about? You see, this is, I know these are maybe not acts of compassion and mercy to people, but they're acts that Jesus sees. And this is just an example of where is my heart going here? Why do I do what I do? Well, it's just good questions. So as important as these first two points are, 
on the continuum of mercy. The third point, forgiveness, is in capital letters because this is where we truly experience the heart of God. This is where forgiveness and mercy collide. This is where they're combined. Jesus tells a parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18. You might want to open your Bible or you can read it on the screen with us. I'm going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 23, it says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. This is an NLT translation, just so you know. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. Verse 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. When the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, shouldn't you have mercy And your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you. Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. What a parable. What is Jesus saying here? Mercy and forgiveness are interchangeable in this context. The servant owed the master so much money that it was impossible for him to pay it back. And it's interesting that we note here that we have no idea how that servant got into that much debt, but millions of dollars of debt. I don't think it's anything that he inherited. I don't think it was a debt of his family. I think it was a debt of that man's poor choices. It was something that he did. Yet I think what we're going to see that's so amazing is here is that even after he's forgiven such a great debt, he wasn't willing to be a participant to be accountable for it. We'll talk about that in a minute. So how does the king... Or the master, show mercy. Look at, let's look at the passage. Then his master was filled with pity for him. His master was filled with pity or mercy or compassion for him. See, the master felt the pain and he empathized with the man, even though the man had gotten himself in the problem in the first place. That's where I struggle with being merciful. Black and white, you got yourself in a problem. Why should I be merciful to you? All right, help me, Lord. 
But maybe the, ma- maybe the master saw something more than just that man. Maybe he saw the pain that this would cause the innocent members of his family. Because it was said that he was going to have to sell not just himself, but his wife and his children into slavery to pay the debt. So that means the whole family was going to be destroyed because of this debt. So the master, the king, had pity on that. And so what did he do? He released him. He released him. What does that mean? This act of emotion turned into an act of kindness toward the man and his family because he acted now on behalf of the man to release him of the debt and to let him go free without paying the debt. He willingly let him go live a life like he never had the debt to begin with. That's a pretty amazing act of kindness, wouldn't you say? Then the third thing he did is he forgave his debt. Forgave his debt. Now, forgiving here or something, he said to forgive, he released him from having to pay the debt. And here's the thing. This cost the king something. Millions of dollars now are not going to be put back in the treasury because he forgave the debt. It, it, costs, it costs something from us when we have mercy and when we forgive, it costs us something. And I've heard many definitions of forgiveness. And one of them is that one definition of forgiveness is releasing someone from, from paying a debt. It's just a releasing from paying a debt. And it's not to say that they didn't owe you. Yes, they owed you the money. But it's an act of letting them off the hook, of not having to pay you back. And probably not many of us find ourselves forgiving like that. That's probably not real relevant for us. But I know that we have many other opportunities to forgive and show mercy with other acts of injustice in our lives by people. We've all been offended by people, haven't we? How many times has someone said something to you that offended you or made you upset? How many times has has somebody done something to you that would require an act of forgiveness on your part? Maybe a good working definition of forgiveness is this. Giving up your right to get back at someone. Maybe that's a good way of defining forgiveness. Is that I give up my right to get back at that person. It's going to cost you something. You see, I think that's much more applicable to our lives. When you know, I think of it that I, I give up my right to hold a grudge. I, I give up my right to be angry and let resentment live in my life so that bitterness begins to grow. I release them in my heart so that I don't think about how I can make them pay back. Or that I release in my heart so that I don't deal with them in a way that would cause them similar pain that they caused me. We love revenge, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. We love it when the white guy, the guy with the white hat wins, right? We love it when he runs in and, and all of a sudden he conquers and And boy, I'll tell you what, we can wear a white hat in our life to the point that we're wrong. (laughs) 
We also see in this parable that after the servant was freed from paying back his great debt, that he went to one of his peers, one of his own kind, one of the guys at his level that owed him a little bit of money. And uh, he didn't do to him what the king did to him. He went back to that man that owed him a little bit of money, and he held him accountable to pay it back. And we know the story, and obviously this, this doesn't, didn't go very well. <laughs> it didn't go well for the servants at all because the king heard about it, and uh, then things got really bad. So what can we take away from this? What, what's the point of this parable? To be, to be forgiven from a debt requires first for us to accept the fact that we owe the debt and that we're, we're accountable to it. Think that one through. That to be forgiven from a debt requires first the fact that we owed the debt and that we take responsibility for our actions. You see, possibly the servant felt the reason that he was in debt to the master as much as he was in the first place was because this man that he had borrowed money from, and maybe there were others too in his life that had owed him that small amount of money. Maybe it was his fault that he was in debt so much to the king. He was blaming his problems on somebody else possibly, that they caused him to go to debt, into debt. It wasn't his own problem. It wasn't his own poor choices. No, they caused me to go into debt. Therefore, I really should have been forgiven anyways because it wasn't my fault. So he had a good cause to force him to pay the debt back because it was his problem in the first place. So by blaming his problems on other people, it gave him justification why he, why he shouldn't forgive his debt because it was his problem. He probably resented the fact that he needed to be forgiven in the first place because he felt entitled to the king's money. This is a huge problem today, folks. Entitlement is a huge problem. See, we're living in that age where the government is creating an entitlement mentality on his people. Because the government wants you to depend on the government. They want you to depend on their $600 a week um, workers, what's it called? Unemployment, thank you. Oh, don't go to work, we'll pay you. That way you can depend on me more. And that just creates that, that entitlement mentality in us. In fact, in a nutshell, that's what critical race theory is. It's that you owe me something based on the color of your skin. Not on the character, not on the content of your character, but on the color of your skin. You owe me something because you and your kind have had privileges all their generations before, and you owe me now because my skin is a different color than your skin. And now you owe me because you've created acts of injustice against my people. That's nonsense, folks. Now, I'm not saying discrimination hasn't happened, and I'm not saying that, and I'm not saying that we need to live, we need to be racist. That's not, I'm not saying that at all. 
But that's not right. Uh, that, that entitlement process, that entitlement mentality does not come because, because it's a simple act of color of skin. It's not my fault. It's not your fault. We can say we're sorry. We can do what we can to make amends, but yet there's not, that shouldn't be taken to that level where I'm entitled, you're entitled of something. I, I will tell you that is a strategy of the enemy. That is a strategy out of the pit of hell against mankind. To cause us to hold unfounded grudges and bitterness against each other so that we can't forgive each other The reason that this is so important is because if I can't forgive you, then God can't forgive me. Do you see how Satan works? He works in an area so that you don't deserve, that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven by you, so don't forgive them. Have a root of bitterness grow up in your life because it'll make you feel better only to know that God says, unless you forgive your brothers, I can't forgive you. Satan knows that. He knows that scripture too. So what was Jesus' point in this parable? Go to the last verse, Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. That is what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So let's go back to the beatitude we're studying. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, in the context of mercy and forgiveness being somewhat interchangeable here, I think we could say the same parable this way. Blessed are those that forgive, for they will be shown forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness are that tight together. You see, the reason that this is so important is because when Jesus left heaven and walked earth as a man, I don't know that we realize this, but he still had choices. When Jesus finally made it into humankind and grew up and began his ministry, you know, he could have had a, taken a different approach to the cross. Because when he got down here and he started preaching truth and he started preaching righteousness, people began to reject him. He did miracles and they accused him of being of the devil. He healed people. He delivered people, and people still rejected him. He could have gone to the Father and said, hey, hey, God, listen, Father, listen. Um, Let's change the plan here because these people don't deserve me. They don't deserve mercy. They don't deserve what you want to give them through my shed blood because look at how they're treating me down here. And he could have altered his journey to the cross to say, I'm out of here. I'm done. Do you know that? He had, he had choice, just like you and I have choice today. But he chose to continue on the journey of the cross, regardless of how we treated him. That's called mercy. What an example of mercy for us. So that he could forgive those that tortured him, killed him. pretty apparent here that in order to be a merciful person, one first must understand what it means to be a forgiving and a forgiven person. And that may be why it's so difficult to be merciful 
Because maybe we don't know how to be forgiven. Think about this for a minute. I just want to dive into this a little bit real quick. Because to, for, to forgive or to forgive other people, to forgive someone that legitimately hurt us is hard to do. It's hard. I get it. Forgiveness never discounts the past. Forgiveness never says what they did was okay. No, it was wrong. What they did to you was wrong and it hurt. They really owe you an apology or of something. They really owe you something. The hurt is real. The pain is real. It really happened. But to forgive that person means that you have to release them from having payback, to pay back anything that might make you feel better whether they ask for forgiveness or not. See, a true act of forgiveness means that you forgive before they even ask to be forgiven. That's truly forgiveness. And that's not easy to do, is it? No, it's not. It's also not easy to be forgiven. And I mean it this way. To be forgiven means that you realize the need that you needed to be forgiven. (laughs) There's a humbling process in the process of being forgiven. And that's another area that Satan works in our life, in the area of denial, that I even have a problem to begin with. I have a justification for my life. It's called human pride. Hey, I'm a good person, man. Come on, I'm better than the guy down the street. I haven't done anything to hurt anybody. I pay my bills. I don't beat my wife. I don't kick the dog. You know, I'm just better than anybody down here that you would think of. And I've done more good things and bad things, by the way. If you want to look, just I'll show you. I've done more good things and bad things. So what's your problem? Why do I need to be forgiven? I'm good enough. Isn't that kind of the American Christian today? Yeah. But until that person needs to understand, until that person understands that they need to be forgiven, they will never be forgiven. Until they come to the point in time when they say, boy, I've done some things that are wrong. I need to be forgiven. They'll never be forgiven. So Jackie, how do we put this together? Come and play something for us. I'm going to ask you to conclude it, Jackie. Come on and end the sermon, Jackie. Come on, you can do this. The Bible's very clear that when it comes to our need to be forgiven by God that we as well need to forgive people. Both are hard to do, but both are very, very important in our Christian walk. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Forgiveness and mercy work together in the life of every believer here, folks. They fit hand in glove. And no matter how difficult it may be, there's a blessing promise to those that forgive and there's a blessing promise to those that are merciful because they will have a relationship with God the Father. They will have a good relationship with people. They will live life and it will go well for them. Maybe not easy, but it'll go well. But the problem is neither one of these come natural to the flesh man because both are essential in the promise of eternal blessing because the enemy doesn't want you to be forgiven. He doesn't want you to forgive. He doesn't want you to be merciful. He doesn't want you to show mercy. So that's why 
It's a consciousness that we have to understand in our life. We need to consciously forgive those that have hurt us. And we need to show mercy and compassion in a conscious effort in our behalf. Because this is how we'll be set apart from the world. This is how the world will know we're different. Because the world doesn't understand it. The world doesn't expect it. And when we combine mercy and forgiveness together in our life, the world looks at you like, who are you? <laughs> and, they're, you know, eventually they're going to look past that and say, I want what you have, by the way. Can, I, can you share me what that means, what that is? We'll leave the world wondering if we can be merciful people. If we can be forgiving people, the world will look at you and say, wow, there's something really different about you. So my questions are this morning, are we merciful people? Are we forgiving people? It's not going to make us perfect. I'm still going to make mistakes. But I need to know when and how to go to people and say, would you please forgive me? We need the Holy Spirit in this. We can't do this alone. We can't do this on our own. As much as I would try, I can't be this person without the Holy Spirit in my life. And neither can you. That's why we need God. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and let's ask God to empower us to be merciful and forgiving in every aspect of our lives as a way to show the love of God to people to be a difference maker in our world so that we can stand out as different because we show the mercy of Jesus in our life. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, help us in this area because we all know what needs to be done. It's easy to talk about it, easier to talk about it. It's a little bit harder to do it. So now I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, that you would really help us to understand what it means to take the conscious choice to surrender to ourselves and uh, submit to you. Lord, that we would see the needs around us and that we would be compassionate and that we would be merciful and that we would learn how to do the things that need to be done for the right reasons because we love people. So give us the love for people. If we're struggling in the area of loving people, then give us love. Help us to know what that looks like and that means. Take our focus off of ourselves, off of our busyness, and help us to see how we can show people you in us through your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Tom and Jackie are playing and uh, use this as a time of worship before we leave. Stand with me if you would, please. Joy.
Father, I pray that you would just blow us away with your grace today. Lord, that as we walk out of this place and go to our homes and go to our places of, of living, Lord, that we would just be empowered with your grace, that you would just just literally just embody us with grace and mercy and love. God, change us from within, I pray. That's my heart's cry. Change me to be a merciful man, to love mercy, to love it to seek it, to look for it, and how I can apply it in the lives of people. And I thank you for this teaching. I thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed today as you go. Learn to love people. Amen.